0: listening to the Simmering Thoughts Podcast, where we sit back and sample slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. My name's Ryan Akers, and I'm the host of this program. Thank you for joining us as we continue in our series on Christology. If you have not already subscribed to our podcast, please go to whichever podcast catcher you prefer, Podbean, Spotify, we're on Pandora and Google Podcasts, iTunes, and even more. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating so that we know that you've enjoyed the show. With that in mind, you can also find us on social media at Simmer Thoughts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So grab your Bible, settle in, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. My name is Ryan Akers and I am the host of this program and our topic today specifically is Christology. We're looking at who is Jesus the Christ Uh, and today I have a guest with me and we're going to discuss the end of chapter four and into chapter five of the book of Mark Uh, and we'll probably spread out just a little bit from there. But that's our kind of our focus point this morning. Uh, I guess it's morning for me might not be for you and that's okay. Uh, my guest is Mike Leak, and I'm gonna let him introduce himself.
1: All right, yeah, I am the pastor at Calvary of Neosho in Missouri. Um, and uh, yeah, so been here for a uh, little over a year now. Um, before that I was in uh, Marionville, Missouri as a pastor for about uh, four and a half years. And then uh, and then previously, I was an associate pastor in Indiana. Somewhat close to where you are, that's I right. believe. Next
0: county down, so, actually. Well, you're the next county up from where i
1: am. Yeah, but I never actually met you. Yeah,
0: that's when I was still busy as a band director at that point. So <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> able to do a whole lot of things in the association. Uh, are you in Santa Claus? I'm in is Santa that right? Claus. I do want to say welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. We've been, uh, it, it's funny that you live that close. And then, like right as you moved, is when we found each other on social media. And uh, (laughs) I have uh, benefited greatly from following you. I I love the way you take time to process things uh, and reading your blog. And we'll give directions to find those things later. Uh, But uh, I want to say thank you for those things as well, because it has tremendously helped me in processing uh, different things that I've been seeing in the church and in society as a whole so if you don't follow him when you hear the the, at the end of the episode please don't just go fast forwarding to that but when we get to the end of the episode uh, if you're not following mike already please uh, do that it will be a benefit to you and will help you uh, think your way through scripture uh, even better so today we're looking at christology and uh in this this whole series that we're doing Uh, we're trying to build this puzzle of who is Jesus? Who is this Christ that we're told about? Uh, And it's interesting that we we are looking at Mark, and that's a question that is recurring in the book of Mark. It it shows up, who is this guy? Uh, And we see all sorts of different ways that 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 is brought to bear in the text. We're going to specifically look at the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. And what I want to do is give more or have you give more of an overview of what's happening rather than a straight reading i've been reading but this is a little bit odd place to just jump in to read um, and so let's do a little bit of a narrative overview and then we can start talking about what does this add to our puzzle
1: right yeah so i mean i think what mark is doing through you know through this first part is it's really you know that that question of you know who is who is this guy you know just keeps keeps coming up and and you see that pretty explicit in that question there at the end of uh, chapter four, you know, where uh, he calms the, calms the storm and uh, uh, he says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And I think that's a question that Mark is really trying to get his uh, readers or listeners, if you will, uh, to, to be asking that question, to go along that journey. And it's, it's interesting that um, there's really not a lot of people who demons throughout are the ones who seem to be knowing who Jesus is and he's the Son of God and all of those things and then and then towards the end you have you know just this climax where uh, the uh, the the Roman the Roman guard you know basically is the one who acknowledges who Christ is and you have the disciples really throughout the whole book of Mark seem to be kind of, um kind kind of not the smartest dudes in the world and uh and it's other people through the through the gospel of mark that tend to be the ones who who are in on the secret of who who jesus is and so it's just really interesting what he does and i think you can see this kind of connection one of the things that mark uh, i found when i was preaching through mark that mark loves to do is he really likes uh uh, what I often told our people is that Mark Mark really likes sandwiches. You know, mm-hmm. he'll he'll have a kind of a narrative, um, and then a kind of a point, and then another kind of narrative, and that thing in the middle is is huge. And I see him kind of doing something like that here, and and four, uh, four and five is what he's what he's doing there. So he's telling the story of Jesus calming uh, calming the storm, and you know who can who could possibly do that but there's a connection there in chapter five with um, him calming, uh, that demon possessed man that no one else could. And so that's kind of the idea that you have in four is that no one can calm the storm who, who could possibly calm the storm. And then you have the guy in chapter five with this, what inner, inner storm. And, you know, he's very explicit there that no one could, no one could shackle him. You know, no one could, could, uh, hold him down and then jesus is able to and i think you see kind of this this narrative emerge where uh jesus spoke of you know the the strong man um being tied down and i think you see what's happening here is is in this narrative here in, in mark 4 and 5 is this is what happens when jesus enters the scene is that he brings Calm, redemption, peace, um, as opposed to what you see when Satan reigns, um, which is you see the guy basically killing himself and beating himself with rocks and just awful. And so that's that's kind of what's taking place in this story, and I think it's a really good kind of picture of what the story that Mark is telling is. You know, just about the authority of Christ and and what happens when um, what happens when Christ is is in control.
0: It, one of the things that catches me in this passage is the unrestrained nature that Christ is coming in touch with. I mean, we we as humans are very familiar with weather being an unrestrained force, seemingly right. so to us. You know, as as you go and drive, you know, I, I often in the summers will drive uh, quite a ways for a vacation, and there are certain areas that we drive through that there seems to be a storm most of the time when we go that particular route and some of these storms are nasty i mean where you are in missouri right. you know the the storms that we get in the midwest are not to be played with and right you know they, they come in and there, there's nothing we can do to tame those storms and yet christ comes in and has the ability to restrain the things that we think are unrestrained
1: right well and i mean and for them to see you know, the sea is the picture of chaos. Yeah. You know, that that's the often used in scriptures as, you know, the, the chaotic, uh, uncontrolled nature. And the fact that he's just able to step in and do that, you know, that was something that was reserved for God. And yeah. so that leaves them asking that question. Okay, who 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 is this guy who can do that?
0: Yeah. And, and then to, to have the same thing happen uh, with the unrestrained nature of, of this particular spirit. Uh, the uncleanliness yeah. that is within this this particular man is uh, of a sort that isn't normal in right. even the other passages where we have someone who's uh, possessed by a spirit. This one's not just possessed by a spirit; it's possessed by many spirits. And and the 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 the, the just damage that that man is able to accomplish because of this this otherworldly power that he seems to have physical power. Uh, and Jesus yeah. comes in and restrains that very thing uh, to the yeah. point that no it one... scares the locals to death. And they basically say, Get out of here. You freak us out. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to, to a degree, we, we don't, inside the church, especially where we're familiar with the stories of Jesus, we don't get that sense of, Oh my goodness, how weird is this uh, very often. And, and when it does happen, it's remarkable. And, you know, we talk about the fear of the Lord. This is this is a type of fear of the Lord here that uh, isn't necessarily unhelpful for us to say you are so different than anything we've come across. Now, they were so scared that they told him to go away. Um, but the way we're supposed to be is scared enough to investigate further uh, and, and right. to see who this who this is and actually get to the answer to that question
1: yeah which I think Mark you know Mark does that through that throughout the whole whole book of Mark he seems to be doing that inviting us into that inviting us into that discipleship. I mean there's a sense in which the whole gospel of Mark is really um that come and follow me you know, just through that whole thing yes. as, and I think that these stories are in here for that very very purpose of being like, are you going to respond to Jesus you know that way where when he comes to town when he does that work. You know, are you going to be the one who is like this demon-possessed man who is now, um, you know, connected? As, as And I, I've always loved this particular spot there where he, where he says to, where they see him. And, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. That's verse 15. And the one who had, who had had the legion, you know, had had the legion. That's pretty powerful. Sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And I, that's just – that's amazing to me, just the cl- – sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Their fear is the exact same fear that you have in chapter 4 of who who is this guy? What What is – what – they can't put him in a box. And, right. and you see that same thing happen with the Pharisees. Um, they were trying to do that. They were asking all these questions of authority. And again, that's what's happening through this whole whole first part really is just the authority. Who? What authority do you have how, to, to do this, to say this, to do these things? And so um, that's what Mark, I think, is pressing us into is are we going to believe Jesus and who he is, who he claims to be and his authority, or are we going to try to get him to fix it, fit into our box? Um, are we Are we going to change to – are we going to change to – mold ourselves and be molded into Christ likeness or are we going to try to form Christ into who we want him to be?
0: It's a different way of showing who Christ is. You know, we, we look at the book of John and John gives us 15 different ways that Christ announces and says, I am the son of God and this is who I am. And you have to deal with that and you have to reckon with it. In Mark, we get a much more Uh, picture-based version of the same thing, you know, in, in, in John, he keeps saying, um, and you've seen my works. So why don't you believe that my works come from the father who sent me? Uh, and so he, he kind of plays those against each other and John, he just shows us the works and interposes this question who possibly can have these powers who he doesn't say explicitly, Jesus is the Christ nearly the way that John does. You know, John's, it's right there five or six different times, but in Mark, it's a much more, uh, scene by scene picture. And he's building this case of who is Christ. And, uh, that, that is, it's a different method. In, and I think it's, it's great for us to have those two different methods because, There's a lot of folks who they'll read John and they'll say, well, that's just him talking himself. We have that passage from the Pharisees even that they said, well, it's your testimony. We don't trust your testimony. And and Christ comes back with, well, I have more than just my testimony. There's the works that I also do. And John is answering that part to force in a way it forces the reader to accept the things that happen, although there are those who reject that this could even have happened and that jesus has that power in particular they just reject it out of hand uh, which is i think one of the big errors that that happens when this piece isn't there you know if we take the ability for uh christ to be the ruler over nature and over the spiritual world both which is what we have here we miss a big part of who christ
1: is yeah definitely and i and i think that what mark is doing is just it's beautiful like just i i think there's there's something to that of just inviting inviting people into that discipleship mm-hmm. um is by the way he does that he he makes it far more you, you almost get the idea that he has a much different audience right than john does yes. where he almost has to be more um I, for some reason it seems like he's not able to be quite as explicit or maybe he's just being super creative i don't know but it's just it's just interesting the way that he just draws people into his story whereas it's almost like john you know i think it was c.s lewis who was like you know show show don't tell um it's like maybe like john didn't what he missed that day at school but mark got it you know and mark is like i'm gonna show and not tell you know he's he and he really does and like that's what was so fun with preaching through mark because i never had realized some of the things that i some of the connections, you know, because yes. I think we have a lot of unfortunate chapter breaks, especially in Mark. Yes. Um, where there's stuff that's just really connected and connected in his mind, and it's just it's beautiful when you follow him along with that.
0: It's one of the the things that I've done recently is to get away from reading chapter by chapter. Uh, as I right. sit down, I'll try to find a, a block time where I can sit and read a whole book, uh, and that helps build that fluidity. And I, and I, something that I had not been shown before, uh, and I'll, a lot of times I, I think Mark is not given the credit that he deserves, uh, as an author in that, that we often think of John and Matthew in particular, pulling the old Testament into their gospel. And because that, you know, Matthew is because it was written, this was done to fulfill that. And this was done to fulfill this other thing. And, and John is giving these uh, just blatant allusions to the Old Testament. Uh, and Mark does that a lot more subtly. Uh, just this uh-huh. the the inclusion and the way he goes about telling uh, so differently, uh, telling of this situation on the sea with the storm, he tells it in a little bit more direct way, but yet he, he manages to work in those illusions you know who is it that can that can control nature you, you get that question um, who, who is this the wind and sea obey him well let's think about job and where job is is kind of echoed through the psalms that's mm-hmm. one of the very questions that god turns on job who is it that can you control the sea do you know when it was put there And so that very question, just if you're familiar with what is in the Old Testament, it just lands right on top of you. And Mm -hmm. so often we we don't catch those connections back and forth uh, between the the Gospels and what's in the Old Testament. And so we miss that this is an answer to one of the questions that uh, somebody at the time would have had. You know, I'm watching this. That doesn't make sense, and they they may not recognize that that's a question that comes out of the Old Testament, but it's likely that they will, uh, because this is this is part of the Old Testament that would have been part of their daily uh, daily use, especially the parts that are in the Psalms, and this that kind of question shows up in the Psalms all the time.
1: Right. Yeah, and it's interesting too to note the. Uh, to note the places where where Mark is more explicit in his Old Testament quotations, mm-hmm. um, it's it's interesting that a lot of those the ones that that he seems to really like is like in Isaiah um, he quotes Isaiah a decent amount and it's usually in one of those places where it's speaking more of the you know the secret of Christ you know who who is this guy and and more so of the. Um, of the insider outsider type of language. Yeah. Um, you know, like in, in chapter four, where he's talking about the purpose of the parables, you know, um, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and then he quotes, you know, and then he quotes there in chat in verse 12, he's quoting Isaiah. Yeah. Uh, they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And so he's this whole thing is almost a, again the, the way he's telling that story is he's inviting those who are hearing it to be like, okay, so which one are you going to be? Are you going to be, are you going to be one who is on the inside, or are you going to be one who is on the outside, who yeah. doesn't get this, who doesn't get the story of the sea? Yeah. Um, and so and so I think that's why you know his more explicit Old Testament quotations typically are of the nature of the 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 parable aspect of things right. but his his he tells stories through the whole thing it's almost like mark is this massive parable in some ways mm-hmm. and that question is just hanging there are you going to get this are you going to uh, is the life of Christ and the the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ is that going to draw you in or is that going to push you further away what what is going to happen there yeah and so i think it's it's neat to see you know what he's what he's doing there where where he does quote because again you know you flip through and there is not many like explicit old testament quotations i mean you've got in chapter four you've got he's quoting isaiah um you've got I mean, again you have illusions all over but you have chapter 12 you have again he's quoting there in chapter 12 he's quoting psalm 118 the
0: the use of those particular psalms in in the holy week uh in in the week leading up to the cross the, the particular passages that mark uses um are so tied to the passover and to the celebration mm-hmm. of passover it's i love the way that that is put together especially let's turn the question just a little bit uh we've been focusing on the the nature of christ in in this particular passage that he has the power over uh the the natural and the supernatural both um, and so it, as we think about this picture um, this fills in a, a big part of who christ is in terms of uh demonstrating that he not only are we saying this but it was actually done and so here see uh we have that piece in the puzzle what happens to those who take that out i mean there are there are uh portions of of the professing church there are those who will say they believe in christ who will take this piece out of the puzzle and say well that was a that's just a story. It didn't really happen. It was it was used as an illusion and an illustration. Uh, and there's even uh, there's quite a few of those who don't believe at all. Just abject re- those who are just rejecting Christ. They take that and they'll say, well, that couldn't have happened. So it's not really a proof. What the. Let's especially look at those who profess to believe in Christ. What is taken out of the picture? How does this flatten out who Christ is if we don't have this power underneath uh, the identity of who Christ is?
1: Right. I I think I think for most people the the, the biggest danger in that is probably, probably again those professing Christ is is probably not so much that they would read this story and like, take it out. But I think it's, it's more so that actually applying that to your own life, you know, as if Christ has the power right now to do that very same thing. You know, I think about that with the, with the, uh, with a demon possessed man, you know, it's like no chain can hold him. And like, how often do we have those types of things in our own life? You know, where it's like, no, there's nothing can nothing can fix this or, or like the woman who you know was with the with the bleeding issue you know she went to all these doctors and no one could ever heal her and you know i think that that's the same thing that that we see you know for us is that we so often are just we leave the power of christ kind of in the bible like mm. in, in the Bible and in the Bible times and the authority of Christ. And it's like, yeah, well, we're 2000 years later, we're 2000 years removed from that. And so it's like, is, is Jesus still doing those things? Is he still, does he still have the authority over these things? Yeah. Does he still have authority over nature and still have authority over, um you know, the supernatural and the natural, like you said, like, or, or not. And I think we've almost become, and that's where I think, you know, a while back, uh, was it, Christian Smith and uh what was the other the ones the ones who came up with the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism
0: gotcha yeah,
1: and I think that that's what you see I think that, that I think that's the problem whenever you take I, I not so much take it out of your Bible but whenever you don't put it into the twenty first century as if Jesus is still the same Jesus doing the same things that he was doing, I think that's what you miss is you end up just with being. A, a deist where he's just, you know, he could do something, um, but he probably isn't all that interested in it or even just, well, that's great for, that's great for matters of faith, but, um, Jesus isn't in the business of healing my depression. Uh, Jesus isn't in the business of healing this thing. And I think, I think you see that a lot. And on, honestly, I think, as one who has been in more kind of reformed and cessationist tribes for a lot of my um, upbringing, I think that's a huge danger for us yeah. um, of just not thinking that cry, b- being really like, okay, well, that was Jesus a long time ago. And so let's, let's be careful not to be too charismatic on this point. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and we end up being, you know, when I read that passage, like I find a little bit in common with the pig owner, Um, because a wild Jesus like that (laughs) is, is gonna, is gonna rock your world and mess some stuff up. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we tend to be like, okay, I I would prefer you to, I'd prefer to have my pigs, um, than to see that demon possessed guy get healed. Um, and it's, it's just interesting to me. I don't, sorry, I don't want to go off on too, too long on the stream like it's just it's interesting to me that like a lot of times when i remember preaching to this passage a lot of people uh as they were they were wrestling with this passage of like that was so messed up for jesus to do that like is is it wrong for him to do that like i mean he he took like he basically took a guy's livelihood like he he by sending the demons into those pigs and all those pigs jumping off and killing themselves he basically took that farmer's livelihood. Like, how horrible is that? And so a lot of the commentators were wrestling with that. Yeah. Um, and what I found interesting in that is like, okay, I get it. I get that that's a question. But I think they're missing the whole point there of what Jesus is doing and that what matters more? You know, it's almost the story of Jonah again, right? Like, what matters more, these, these 3,000 pigs and this guy's livelihood or – the fact that this demon possessed man was radically transformed and healed. And I think that you would say that it's, you know, again, it's, that's what Jesus is doing. That's what his kingdom is doing. Not to, again, not to diminish the impact it has on that farmer guy too. But I think it's, again, that's that question of what, what matters, what matters most. And, and so I think that, I think that a lot of times the commentary, the commentaries that I, I read on that, I think were asking maybe the wrong, the wrong questions. Yeah.
0: One of the things that you said that that catches my attention, especially is the uh, the connection between continuationist and cessationist uh, and how right. that plays in here, because when you think about it, that's about the work of the Holy Spirit. Often it's like the way that it's pitched uh, as you right. as you initially enter the conversation. That conversation is fo- focused on the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's not focused on the work of Christ. And I think sometimes this is where we we try to leave Jesus in the first century rather than allow him to be in our present time. Uh, And I wrestle with this one. I mean, as you see someone radically change as they come to faith and you watch their um, interactions with the world, their attitude, we watch their whole perspective flipped upside down. We don't see that necessarily as the work of christ upending nature but that's exactly right. what it is is the work of christ through the holy spirit upending nature and, and yeah it's we it's miss, a
1: continuation of his authority
0: yeah and 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 when we miss that we we lose a lot of the power um of what's in the faith what what is there for our faith we we completely miss that and and even the power of christ to sustain us through Difficult times. Uh, we we often miss that, and I I think to a degree our comfortable twenty uh, first century North American life uh, is uh, is a way for us to lose that as well. Just because we're not engaged in uh, the daily sustenance battles that so often were true of the folks at that time. I mean, at that time, if you got sick for a week and couldn't work uh all of the housework is not done and that housework isn't like us with housework you know clean the dishes put out the trash uh, make sure the bathrooms are clean that stuff uh, this is housework of make sure the milk is brought in make sure that you go get water from the well <laughs> you know those daily things right if you can't do that you're in a serious hurting. And, uh, we, we don't often end up in those positions because so much of that is done, uh, by ingenuity, which is fantastic. Uh, but it also puts us in a situation where we don't have to lean on the supernatural as often. Uh, we don't have to see, or we don't necessarily see the supernatural occur. Uh, when someone is, is healed in the course of treatment from the medical community, so often we just chalk it up to well that was just the drugs it was just the technique that they used but we forget that that technique is there because god gives us the knowledge about ourselves and our nature in order to be able to work and to do those things uh we've learned all of this by god's grace and so as the doctor is is doing the things that we know can be done that's the wisdom that we've been given working itself out in our life that right there is a picture of the the ability of God to change nature, uh, and then we we watch you know uh, truly miraculous healings, and we get that, but we don't necessarily get the the normal everyday amazing things that God has done, uh, and and we've we've we don't go in prayer uh, sometimes with the idea that this is actually going to do something so often. And, and I catch myself doing this. It's just a perfunctory prayer. It, it, there's nothing uh, right, uh where I'm actually leaning on and trusting in what God can do and understanding uh, that he's allowed to say no, but I'm trusting him to say yes, man. It's tough to go to yeah. continue that. Uh, and that, that it sometimes takes over and over for us. It feels like forever that we're doing that, but that's also a way that God works through us, uh, to teach us how to rely on him. Uh, and sometimes, you know, when we take that, that power that Christ has over nature and the supernatural, both, and when we pull that out of the puzzle of who is Christ now, it's almost like the only thing that Christ did was come to die on a cross. This other stuff didn't really happen, and man, you you there's so much that just is is torn. You end up with a uh, a shell of who Christ is when you take away that the power over nature that He has. Uh, Well,
1: in a big gap in your your daily gospel, right? I mean, it's like okay, Jesus. I think I think for most of us, we're able to see okay, Jesus did something with my past. Um, he he died. And paid the price for all of my sin and my past. And Jesus is doing something with my future. Um, you know, He's going to resurrect us yep. with Him. But what is He doing in the present? Yep. And I think that that's where we. I think that that's where we're often missing. You know, even the with the Gospel of Mark of that that call to discipleship and what that means in following Christ is also His exousia you know his his authority his is um is at work on our behalf and i think that we i think we do miss that miss that picture a lot
0: yeah um let's run over to the opposite side of the room we've been because we both approach i think this from a more cessationist view that that uh some of the supernatural things that god was doing in the first century as a demonstration of christ's power uh, and the, and the work of the Holy spirit, some of those things aren't happening right now. And and there's certain particular aspects of that, that, that are a historic discussion that's been going on for generations. Uh, right. but if we go to the other side of that discussion and we look at it from that point of view, uh, if, if the cessationist side underplays Christ's power over nature, um, what are the dangers of Overplaying it, so let's take that in, into the extreme, continuous point of view. How what dangers do we run into if we if we turn this up to twelve <laughs> in in the picture? And, you know, make the piece bigger than the hole it's supposed to. That's fit like in.
1: that's one that's one higher than spinal tap. Exactly. Like, that's not even turning hey. it up to eleven and turn up to twelve. We wow.
0: we've been known to do that uh, <laughs> from time to time. Uh, but but what yeah, happens? Well, I think do- I think
1: what you do. Is, I, I still think that the same I almost think that it has the same root issue is that you're divorcing it from the authority of Christ I, I think that I think that in, in an extreme cessationist view uh, which is like God can only work in this particular way you know and I, I love Jonathan Edwards quote on that don't limit God any more than he limits himself um, but I think I think that that is divorcing itself from the authority of Christ but I think an extreme, Um, continuationist, if you will, or whatever Mm -hmm. view, I think is also doing the same thing. It's also divorcing itself from the authority of Christ and it's almost turning him into a deistic kind of thing to where he has left us certain principles of financial prosperity or health or uh, well-being, all those things, so that if we do these particular things, then he is now obligated to to heal in the same way that he did the demon-possessed man. Mm-hmm. Um, he is obligated to put me into my right mind. And I think, I think again, both of those, I think, are divorcing the authority of Christ from that whole thing. It's It's that, well, he has the authority over those things. And so if he, in that moment, chooses to heal or chooses to not heal, that's his to-do. Right. It's it's not ours. And so I think that that's kind of the danger. Is Again, I think it has the same root, but I think it's a danger on the other side. It's more of, I think maybe one side might assume that Christ doesn't work that way anymore, and the other side might assume that he has to work mm-hmm. in that same way.
0: Yeah. The obligatory vending machine uh, reference there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And again, he just ends up being a deist in, in both. We end up being a deist in both, yeah. you know, to where it's like he's, he, because Christ As the actual person who he really is, he doesn't actually matter in the equation. I almost think Uh, it's he's just.
0: It it works itself out almost in a trinitarian error sort of way. Uh, You know, in the in the the cessationist camp, the ones that are the furthest from the center uh, almost deny, in a way, they deny the function and role that were shown in scripture. That the Holy Spirit plays from beginning to end. I mean, all the way from Genesis to the end uh, of Revelation, we see the Holy Spirit working and and speaking to man through the word, uh, through the word of God. Now, as we looked at Hebrews, you know, now we have the word of God through the word of God to us with the power of the Holy Spirit to interpret it but we often leave the Holy spirit and, and we leave as the power of Christ. Those, those are the power of the Holy spirit and the power of Christ are the same power. And the power of the father is the same power. Um, and, and we almost tight, try to like pull the Trinity apart at this point of right. how, how God answers prayer, how God works in our modern time. Uh, and, and in doing that, we, I think damage our understanding of who God is to a point that we get uh, an an almost a it's almost as great of a misunderstanding of who God is as the Pharisees had, and as the the people in Israel had of expecting this militaristic Christ to come and physically mm-hmm. rule at that time and kick the Romans out, as opposed to a a, a Christ who is coming for the spiritual ruling that He is coming to do, and that same right. error seems to be the direction this goes and I I love the the way that you put that 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 on the other end on the extreme continuationist end they play the power of the Holy Spirit to the point that they deny that Christ has anything to do with what the Holy Spirit's doing it's just the Holy Spirit giving us all of this and and just it's not a picture of what we necessarily see and there's a I think I also a, a misapplication of the word faith And what it means to have Mm -hmm. faith in terms of prayer, not in terms of salvific faith, but faith for the day to day. Give us, Lord, our daily bread, that prayer and what it means to have faith. um, And and I think right now it's playing out in the conversations around coronavirus. Um, You know, as as this gets released in September, we're recording at the end of July as we release these episodes in September. Coronavirus is still going to be a discussion. But as we look at what the church is saying right now, and the conversations that are happening uh, between uh, church members, there are those who saying, who are saying that you know if you wear a mask, you don't have any faith, and those there are those who are saying if you do wear a mask, you don't have any faith. It's both directions, and it's kind of weird to, to right. watch that. And it's it's a it's a parallel discussion. It's not really the same discussion, but it seems parallel in that uh, we are. Divorcing how God works from that God works, and uh, there's there's big dangers in both ways, and and I that's one of the things that as I'm exploring Christology, every little aspect it seems, and I may be wrong, and we may discover this in the course of the series, but it certainly seems as if there's no puzzle piece that is not damaged when you expand it bigger than it should be and there's no puzzle piece that doesn't damage us when we shrink it down smaller than it should be it, it, you know, when they're in the right proportion to each other in the picture, the picture is perfect. As we start stretching pieces or shrinking pieces, we do damage to the picture of who God is and we get a, a, a wrong idea. And, and at some point we start believing in something that isn't God. Uh, because it's so right. foreign from His image uh, and from the the glory of God, we get so divorced from it that now our faith is not in God; it's in something else, uh, and usually that's our own minds right. in, in most cases. Uh, that that
1: which I, I mean that makes sense, right? I mean, yeah. if it's if we believe that if we believe that God is unity, um, you know, meaning that His attributes are not like, you know, He's 95% holy, he's <laughs> 63% um <laughs> wrath, he's 25% love. You know, if if we believe that God is unity, yeah. then of course that's true. Like if you if you overemphasize or deemphasize another one, then you're not you're not relating to God as he actually is and as he has actually revealed himself. Yeah. And so I, that's where I've always loved like john calvin on that is that he he was so dogged and again i don't agree with calvin on every particular thing of course but um he he was so dogged on saying i don't want to speak where the bible doesn't speak yes. where god doesn't speak or god has not revealed himself i don't feel comfortable dogmatically speaking in this area and i think that is just so so good because again we just want to speak in the way that god has revealed himself and, and I think by doing that, we don't allow ourselves to overemphasize or de-emphasize. We want to yeah. speak wherever he's spoken and, and speak that a million times and, and turn it up to 12 and speak on that. <laughs> um, but but we don't want to speak on things where he hasn't spoken or de-emphasize. And so I, I've always thought Calvin had a really good – a lot of people wouldn't say that. A lot of people, I think believe calvin was a lot different than what he probably was but yeah. um he he i think was actually really pretty balanced on a lot of those things other than the fact he probably would have drowned me for being yep. <laughs> for being being one who would uh be a baptist he, 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 he would uh, that,
0: rebaptize, but not allow you to rise he, in christ Uh, yeah in so many other
1: than him which having drowned me (laughs) yeah
0: and and for those who are listening who are Pado baptist that's not a shot that's just me recognizing (laughs) that there's some humor in the particular nature of that punishment of of drowning (laughs) someone who believes in Believers' baptism. <laughs> uh, there's a yeah. there's an ironic. Well, yeah,
1: it, it was. It's just like Paul. It's Paul saying, "Why don't you just go the whole way and emasculate yourself?" It it kind yeah. of seems that way, yeah. <laughs> um, and and
0: and there's that's a whole different series that I probably will never do on this podcast, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, so you know, it's yeah, we have these little discussions. You know, the idea of what is baptism. Um, and and a lot of times that discussion comes inside of the guardrails of overplaying and underplaying. And I, I think right. it's important for us to have things we guard against. Uh, but we have to be careful that we don't only guard against one side. And that's the, because that's yeah. when we end up in, in difficulty. It's really right. one of the things I think it is. Um, I guess a way to put it is uh, as we look at physics, And we talk about the nature of how a centrifuge functions in that you're being held to the center. But at the same time, things are being thrown out. Centripetal versus centripetal forces, how they function. (laughs) And I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but I mean, as you see that function, if we guard against only one of the two, if we guard against being thrown away, then we run to the center and we we don't ever move from the stationary point and we guard against being drawn to that stationary point, not wanting to become stuck in stone, we end up getting ourselves flung because there's nothing holding us to the center. And and, right. and as we look at all the different arguments and discussions and, well, I'm going to say arguments again, uh, both politically and within the church, uh, the, the nature of where we are right now is the balance between those two forces, the one that is flinging away and the one that is clinging to the center or not clinging to the center, but clinging to the still point. Those two edges are the loudest voices right now and are right. driving the discussion. And as we guard against only one side, we end up leaking and, and drifting toward the other extreme. Uh, because we're so guarding against something it was one of the things I think about is I'm in a discussion with somebody uh, Even whether it's agreement or disagreement. What am I guarding against and what are you guarding against? Are you guys, is the thing you're guarding against worth Not running into, you know, it, it, right. as I look at them as we'll just take the discussion on racism um, I I'm guarding against going to the point of seeing someone as less worthy of the image of God based on their skin color that I have to guard against, but I also have to guard against the opposite of extreme. And this is going to sound weird that I say it's the opposite extreme, but now punishing someone based on the color of their skin, not just not giving them any credit, but now actively reducing them because of it. And, and those, that's, that's only one aspect of the conversation, but I have to guard against both.
1: Which is what you see with, um, uh, oh my goodness, what is his name? Um, Mass singer guy, Um,
0: Uh, Nick
1: Cannon. Okay, Nick Cannon. The stuff that Nick Cannon was putting out here recently, like, uh, I mean, where he basically was saying, you know, if you are white, you're less than, and it's like, wait a second, (laughs) that's that's that's. That's just that's the other side. That's what you're saying there, guarding against that side of things as well. That's not truth either,
0: right? And it's hard to guard against your own side sometimes. Uh, Yeah, as you know, politically, the the polarization that we're seeing, where the left is running further left and the right is running further right, uh, and the folks in the middle are just trying to decide where am I going? What what? Where do I go? we end up, right. we end up unleashing ourselves or unlashing ourselves from our moorings, and when we do, uh, we end up getting we get, end up getting flung to one side or the other, and uh, that that's right. dangerous to us. Uh, we have to we have to know the dangers of our own side, uh, and that goes that's true for almost every doctrinal point I think. Uh, but as we look at the picture of Christ, we see these historic errors. I mean, denying the supernatural ability yeah. of Christ is a heresy (laughs) that has because you're if you're denying his ability to control nature and the supernatural you're denying that he's god and so now you, you you have now gone where scripture says you aren't a believer any longer you have now divorced christ from his identity so much that you no longer believe that he is who he says he is and and doing that uh we have to be We have to guard against it. And I, and as you said, you know, the opposite where we, where we expect the power of the Holy spirit to, to be at our bidding rather than at his own. Right. uh, It's the same error. We're still depriving Christ of his divinity in causing him to be our, 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 our butler, basically, you know, snap your fingers. I'd like a, I'd like a drink, please waiter. Uh, If you do that with, with this is the God of the universe who calms the sea and drives out demons, and you're asking for a drink of water. Right. And demanding it from him. That's the thing is the demand, have, not just the ask.
1: Have you seen or heard the analogy of in in talking about that made me think of it is of of theology being kind of like a a windshield like that like a windshield that's like frosted up and some of it You know, if it's if it's all muddy, you know, like if if your windshield is muddy, you can't really see out of it, and so like that's why you need that's why you need good theology to help you see. Um, But if you have a really clean windshield, but you never look out of it to see the glory of God, Mm. then it's not really doing any good. And a lot of people just focus on making sure they have a really clean windshield, but like that that to me has always been really helpful because you know. you know again if if your theology like you said you know if your theology is muddy then your experience of christ and his gospel isn't going to be nearly as rich as it would be if there was a clean window right. you know if it's if it's iced over you know you, you ever have that in the morning <laughs> you know whenever it's all iced over and you're you know you're like okay i gotta get to work so i'm just gonna try to drive out of this little hole <laughs> yeah, <nope. laughs> this little bitty spot here I do that regularly. Um, a lot of people i think <laughs> run on that theology like that's kind of their they have just this little hole full but like they're looking out that thing and they're just worshiping and praising christ and he big, you know, through that little hole. Of course, you know, we want if it was more defrosted, then they could see more of Christ and worship him more. But, like, I think a lot of those people who may not have as good and robust and as rich of a theology, I think are better if they're looking out of just a little hole that's, like, filled with lots of air, but they're looking out of this little hole and they're actually worshiping Christ are so much better than someone who has a completely clean wonderful windshield great theology um but they're so busy dusting up their windshield making sure there's no bugs that they forget why they want a clean windshield in the first place yeah you know to actually see and behold christ and um i think that i think that that's kind of what you you know going back to mark i think that that's something that you see with um with the disciples, remember that story, and I think it's like chapter nine where where John John is like, hey, these guys don't these guys don't believe like we do. Uh, can can we just like burn them? Like can we just <laughs> toast call fire down from heaven? That, that would just be great. Yeah, let's just roast them. And so I think it's uh I think you know it's. And you know, that's in the whole who's the greatest, who's the greatest of us argument right. you know, in chapter nine there, but I think I think that they they were kinda doing that very thing and I think Jesus was helping them to see, you know, just stop stop the stop the tribalism, you know, stop thinking that you've got all the answers and that you're the one who, you know, who people have to go through in order to have access to me. Um, and I think Jesus helps them to see that, you know, the kingdom is so much bigger than John's little slice of it and John's little view of it. Let's not pretend like you know you're the only one with the windshield john and <laughs> so i think i think of that you know and thinking of the balance of you know theology and embracing embracing that and um making sure that yeah we we want to make sure we have a really good christology but we want to remember why we want to have a good christology mm. um it's so that we can worship christ and so if someone has a just they're in error in a lot of ways in christology but like what they do have, like they're just grabbing a hold of Jesus, then that's better in some ways than some guy who's got a really clean windshield and isn't savoring Christ, I because mean, that's a demon, right? Yeah, demons have great theology.
0: They do. Well, and it, it's almost uh, uh, working out of the parable of the talents. Uh, granted, that's a different gospel, right. but it's the same. It's it's working out that that. Um, particular thing where, you know, there's, they all are given certain things, but one of them decides that he has a picture of who God is and he acts on that and, and, and hides what he has. Well, he didn't use what he was given in a way that the, that even the God that he did think he had would have accepted it. So he, he had, he had his definition of God and he still didn't act in a way that was true to what he saw God as being. And, uh, we, you know, we do that, you know, in, in the opposite way, he was thinking of, of God as less than who God is, uh, that God is a hard man and he drives a hard, hard bargain and he runs his business ruthlessly. Uh, and this guy just sat on what he had instead of doing what a businessman would do. Uh, he didn't even live up to that, that idea. Uh, of his own mind. And so I think sometimes I, I don't think God measures us based on the idea of God that we have, but I think that there is grace given to us where we have error that God accepts our worship when we're earnestly seeking him. Even if we have a bad, uh, uh, have a bad understanding at that time. It's right. the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what, do you, what do you do with
1: what you do have? Yeah.
0: Well, that whole idea of, of using the, the, the sanctification that we do have, is as we're becoming more pure and more sanctified, we will worship more rightly. But if we're not being sanctified, we're going we could have all the knowledge in the world and there's there's not that worship. It, it, uh, the definition that First that Corinthians give us gives us for love it is in the context of the church, but it also is the same idea toward God. If we have the perfect theology, but we don't have love for God. It's useless. We could we could right. have the most most beautiful statement of faith on paper, but if we don't hold that faith, it's useless. If we don't walk that faith out, it's useless. Um, and it's, it's just a bunch of hot air. It's chase is literally a chasing after the wind. That phrase always gets me. <laughs> the chasing after the wind. <laughs> so much of my life is chasing after the wind. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's hard to it's hard in the, in the moment to 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 figure out that that's what you're doing. Oh, I'm just chasing wind right now. This is not a good idea. Right. Um it's a it that's that'll probably get cut, but uh, that's something that I often <laughs> often think of. One of the I you use the analogy of a windshield and and uh analogy I used yesterday in Sunday school was the uh we were looking at at Philippians 2 in Sunday school and and you spend that, that whole big Christological chunk. And that's another episode. Don't worry, it's coming. Uh, But but we listened to that or we went through that passage and at the end of it, there's a, therefore a, so that, and, and often I think of the therefore and the, so that like the transmission, you know, you've just built this, you put in this wonderful engine, that whole beginning of Philippians two is this beautiful, powerful engine and we just leave it neutral if we ignore the so that and the therefore and because of all of this because you have this engine now you're able to do this other stuff uh, you're able to not grumble you're able to work in unity because now you understand what humility looks like okay now put it in gear and go do that and and we so often forget Uh, that part of it. And, you know, we have this beautiful picture of who Christ is here in Mark, that he has that power over the natural and the supernatural. There's no engine better than that. How do we put that in gear and actually walk through it? And this is one thing where, because Mark's telling it in the story, we see an application of it already. We see an illustration of it and it makes it easier for us to take it from that context into our own if we allow it to come into our own, if we uh, build up the wall of time and say, well, that was then. And this is now we just put ourselves right back in neutral. Right. And some, yeah. and sometimes I, we put it in first gear and just floor it and spin our wheels in the mud, uh, which is an equal, <laughs> you know, that's the same problem. Cause then we're just, we're, you know, we're all application, but we're not actually using the power of the engine to do anything. We're just spinning our wheels. Right. And that yeah. makes a
1: mess. Yeah, we're just... And that, that is that is what um, I think Facebook and Twitter and a lot of those are, is just kind of a way to, to mash on the gas and <laughs> yell and scream and accomplish nothing. Um, <laughs> that seems to be seems to be the case but you know with mark mark is inviting into discipleship yes um that's kind of you know that is that is the whole of what he's doing you know the application of that you know the therefore you know for mark is i think inviting us into the uh you know that conf- the confession of of the uh uh the roman the roman guard right. you know that truly this man is the the son of god and so it's you know what what do you do with that um and so it's it's interesting too that the Gospel of Mark, you know, likely ends on verse eight with them all. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Yep. What a strange way to end, <laughs> 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 right? Yeah, that is an odd way. <laughs> yeah, and so, but I think he's doing something in that. I think he's, um, I think it's connected, you know, to the truly this man was the son of God, and it's, it's connected with okay, what are you? what is the resurrection going to do for you? Are you, are you going to, I, I think he's inviting them to see that, that, um, that all that they had, their silence, the silence that they had. Um, I think he's inviting the, inviting his readers not to have that same silence. Yeah. Um. You, you know, that, that awe of Christ, who Christ is to be like the, the one who says, truly this man was the son of God. Cause I, yeah, there's just, there's some interesting, interesting thoughts on, that with how Mark ends, and, really good. Um, yeah, as, Robert Plummer as has we take that and a good stuff on that.
0: As we take that and spin that thought uh, a little bit, and 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 we actually use the transmission on ourselves and and look back at how the Lord has uh, worked this thought particularly in our lives, uh, in our discipleship, uh, and in ways that he it has driven our devotion, in ways that it's corrected us. Um, you know, I I run into. As you were talking there, I was thinking through that and my mind jumped into chapter one at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And the first thing he does right after that verse two is to quote Isaiah about the messenger coming before the anointed one. So he's proclaiming that that Jesus is this anointed one that John is the messenger for. And then the first words that he gives us from Christ is the time is fulfilled. The kingdom has come near repent and believe. And that right there is the place that um, on a, on a daily basis. And as I, as I spend time in Mark, that's the kind of thing that drives the devotion. That's, that's where the devotion comes in that we see here. Mark working out who Jesus is piece by piece and as we see that then we know that the, the the king of the kingdom has come and we need to repent of not being part of the kingdom and not being under the king and not believing the king and believe right. in that good news that the, the final kingdom the kingdom of Christ is open and then we are to come into it and uh, to, to see those pictures of who Christ is and to to dwell on those uh, and, and to work through the the wonder and majesty of who he is uh, that really builds up the devotion and love that, that I have for Christ because of what he's done, because of, you know, you think about the, the Philippians passage of they it lays out who he is and what he's done and why it's so amazing that God would become man and put on flesh to die a death that nobody wants for the good of other man. Uh, it, it, it drives us right back to the cross. It drives us right back to the empty tomb and to sit in wonder and in astonishment and worship of who Jesus is. Uh, and that and that repenting and believing the repenting of me not holding that as dear as I should and believing it. Uh, it's, it, it changes. It had it has changed the way I read my Bible. Uh, seeing Mark in this light has changed how I read other books. Uh, and I've been corrected from kind of, kind of dismissing the power of Christ in prayer, even though I still struggle with it. it it's that's one place where I'm being corrected is in that, that vein, uh, I'm curious what, what, what would you say in those to, to the idea of where is this driven you devotionally? Yeah, So,
1: so I, um, so I preached through the gospel of Mark, um, probably, oh, at this point it was, I, I think I said one or two years ago, a while back, but I think it was probably honestly about three years ago. Um, and It's uh, really established, you know, in my mind and in my heart, you know, just really the authority of Christ and just that he, you know, he's big, he can do anything, he's good not to put. And really, I think one of the key lessons that I learned through preaching um, the gospel of Mark is that Jesus is an authority and as such, um, he's the one who gets to shape me and not me shape him. And, And that just really kind of stuck with me. Um, but so so pretty pretty shortly after preaching through the Gospel of Mark, um, went through just a really difficult time, um, you know, within our local church, and just man, just a lot of depression and anxiety, and just it was just a really really dark time for me. And uh, and honestly, that the message of Mark was not something that it. Oddly enough, it didn't seem to click in, in those moments. Like the authority of Christ didn't necessarily click. Yeah. Um, but I find that – so at one point, one of the things, one of the verses that I think really in some ways saved my life um, was out of Luke, um, Luke twelve thirty two, where he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yeah. Oh and i think when i read that i think that the message of mark that i had learned in mark touched my life connected with the goodness of god that i saw in luke 12:32 was that so mark helped me to see that christ is big and he's an authority and he can do everything and he gets to set the rules he he shapes me all of that but i don't know that i fully um that my heart was re- really had grasp you know just that it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and and seeing the goodness of the lord and so whenever those two thoughts merged that god is both powerful again that's theology we know that we understand that but that that truth really hitting home in my heart yeah when that one connected with the goodness of God in Luke 12:32, that just transformed everything for me. And so, I mean, I think that's one of the ways that Mark has really shaped me is just laying a foundation for that to open that up to where God could later on, you know, two years later, you know, could take a verse like Luke 12:32 and could that to connect with the way that Mark shaped my worldview and just combine those two and just really, just give me a lot of deep encouragement mm-hmm. and, and just know that, okay, that power that power is not just an abstract power. Um, the authority of Christ is not just an abstract authority, but it is an authority that is for me. And again, I know ultimately, again, I, I know that as, a, as one who's read so much Piper, I know that ultimately his authority and all of that is for the glory of God. But I, in that moment, needed to know that it was for me, yeah. and that just that was just so transformational. When those when those combined,
0: in a way that reminds me of a passage from Narnia, uh, where you have the, the telling of who Aslan is, and right, and then there's the the question: Is he safe? <laughs> no, he's not safe. No, but he's <laughs> good. Who
1: told you he was safe?
0: Yeah, who told you? Yeah. he's good god is god is yeah. yes he's that powerful <laughs> he's not safe because he's so powerful which is the path? Right. i mean that's exactly the picture with the the demon possessed man is that that this this man is not safe if he can do that yeah. to that creature oh my and but at the right. same time as you're saying you know that but but still he's good and his design and well his and i think heart you, you look
1: as, at that and and the the in that story you know with with the the demon possessed man if you would ask the farmer like is jesus safe he'd be like no is jesus good he'd probably say no he killed all my pigs yeah
0: well and they ran him off but if
1: you exactly but if you ask that same question to the demon possessed man is he safe yeah kind of <laughs> he's, way. um is he good yeah like you know i think i think he would he would have a much different a much different uh picture of that because because for the demon possessed man his the authority of christ brought him true safety true peace and that's why he's saying he's he's good you know, but for the other guy, yeah, it didn't so much right. <laughs> bring
0: that. That just brought into my mind to wrestle with the um, that. You know, those of those who have faith to those who don't have faith are the stench of death. Yep. That yeah. That whole interaction, the difference between the farmer and the the demon possessed man. You know the the stench of of death versus the sweetness of life. Um, yeah. Those two play those two roles or, or fill those two roles, uh, in the other passage, man, I had not thought about that one. Whew. That's going to take, yeah. my, that's, that'll now drive my thinking all day, so. <laughs> <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, uh, that's the way I, my brain functions is that's, I'll get something like that and I'll chew on it for the day. So, uh, that feels like a great place to stop. And so, uh, awesome. uh, that God is, is good. Yes. He is that powerful. And yes, he is that good. Uh, and both are true and there's no conflict at all in them. Uh, and so as, as you go from here, as, as you stop listening and go through your day, uh, take time to to just meditate on that thought that God is that powerful and, and has the power over the natural and the supernatural even today. And, that he is good and in his goodness, he seeks and desires our good because it demonstrates his goodness uh, and brings him glory when we recognize it. And so uh, as you go from here, I uh, pray that you will uh, have good meditation on who Christ is from that. And we'll come back next week as we have another episode uh, again, looking at who is Christ and and what does that picture fully look like and mean, uh, as we walk our path in faith. Um, and as we walk toward the new heaven and the new earth because of Christ, uh, it's good for us to have that full picture. Uh, Mike, I want to say thank you once again, uh, for coming on simmering thoughts and joining us Uh, I've been wanting to have an opportunity to have you on for a while, and this has been a a really good discussion. I very much enjoyed it. So thank you uh, for coming. Well, Thank
1: you. I appreciate that. Uh, Thank you for, thank you for having me on. You're
0: welcome. If you could go ahead and let everybody know how they can find you, uh, on social media, internet, wherever.
1: Yeah. So just, uh, let's see, like Twitter would be at Mike uh, L E A K E. Um, I, did steal the Twitter handle from the baseball pitcher. So, well done. and the real Mike Leak. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't have a black, uh, black a blue check mark. Um, I don't think I will ever get a blue check mark. I don't want one. Um, but yeah, you can follow me there on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, either, especially since they got all locked out. Yeah. Um, so, and then also, MikeLeak.net uh, would be my blog home. So you can also check out our church. Just do a site, uh, search for Calvary, Calvary of Neosho. There's a decent amount of stuff on there. Just look me up on Facebook. And uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it.
0: All right. Thank you. Uh, folks, I do encourage you to go find him on, on social media. Uh, he's not on necessarily as much as I am, but that's probably a good thing because it probably moderates the <laughs> things he says a little bit more than I do. Uh, but it if is you only knew what I deleted. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so, uh, I encourage you guys to go do that and, and to, uh, interact with him. It is a fantastic thing. So were you trying to awesome, say man. something? Thank you. Okay. Uh, Nope. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this brings us to the end of this Simmering Thoughts. Uh, Hopefully you'll come back next week for the next episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Simmering Thoughts. Please follow us on social media at Simmer Thoughts for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also go to your favorite podcast catcher and subscribe, review, and leave a comment. That would be on Podbean, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and many, many more. If you find us somewhere that I didn't list, feel free to send me an email or let me know, and we'll include that in our list as well. Thanks for listening to another episode, and we pray that you have a wonderful week. Thanks.